Hey guys, we're getting to another episode of When the Scriptures Become Real. It's kind of a podcast where we learn, where we study, where we grow, where we try to become the best versions of ourselves as we can, as we continue to serve our Lord. Again, you guys can find the podcast on YouTube or anywhere else you can get your podcast. We're just so thankful you guys are here and that you guys are with us today. Okay, we are continuing our Jonathan series, guys. I am so excited to continue to look at this because there is so much stuff in here. It's ridiculous how much how much the Bible reveals in this. I cannot wait to continue to study with you. And I want to give you guys, before we start, I want to give you guys kudos on, on your interaction with this, your study with this, your comments with this, you sharing this. This is just one big study as we're looking at this. And like I said before, I've said this in the previous podcast, I'm doing all this in real time with you. So these are not prepped. These are, hey, let's just sit down and let's study this and let's look at what the scripture says. So as we're doing this, I encourage you guys, keep doing that, man. You guys are are great. And I, I love you guys for for um, wanting to study the Bible. It's, it's, an, it's an amazing thing. So as we continue to look at this, I would advise you to go back if you could and listen to part one, two, and three. Because I promise you it will make more sense that if you look at the root of the problems and then we'll jump right into 1 Samuel 18, exactly where we are today. So here's a disclaimer, right, as we begin before we hop back and journey into the text together. Here's the disclaimer. We're going to look at things moving forward from, from chapter 18 where we stopped. We're going to look at things from David and Jonathan's perspective. Now, sometimes it will be individual right? It may be a Jonathan thing. It may be a David thing, but essentially we're going to look at things from their point of view. But here's the other disclaimer. Here's what I wanted to really hone in on. We're also going to look at things from Satan's point of view, because what he has instilled in the heart of Saul from 1 Samuel 8 has caused complete chaos. So think about what Satan's thinking at this, at this point before we hop in. We have a nation that is crippled by fear, which is led by a king who is crippled by fear. And you have two men. You have Jonathan, who is fearless and fears God, and you have David, who is fearless and fears God. What do you think Satan's thinking? The text in 1 Samuel 18 verse 1 says, Jonathan and David's souls were knit together. What were they knit together in? We looked at this in podcast three. They were knit together because they feared God in a fearful nation. That's why they were knit together. So therefore, what is Satan thinking? If I let this seed grow within these two friends, that's going to be a problem because they're going to make Saul and they're going to make the nation fearless when I need them to be fearful. So now something that we believe a friendship, a relationship, uh, church relationships, your relationship with your with your spouse, whatever the case might be, anything that we believe in that we say is knit together, Satan's gonna Satan's gonna say this. I want to test that. You can claim that all day. I mean, you can truly believe it, but I want to test that. Let me test what you say. It, it is what you say and what you believe. And how you view whatever you're in, you believe it's that strong? You believe I can't affect it? You believe I can't get in the middle of it? Let's test that. 
here's what we're going to see. We're going to see Satan's tactics and we're going to see how he uses this and he tries to use some strong, some strong moves on Jonathan and David, right? We're going to see that. So as we look at this, this is where we are, okay? Now, I can't wait to look at this. Let's jump back in. Let's jump back in. So get your Bibles with us. If you're listening, look at this for yourself again. Let's pick up. Let's all journey back together. We're back here in Israel in 1 Samuel 18. Jonathan and David, their souls were knit together, verse 1. Now let's keep going. Verse 3, then Jonathan and David made a covenant. If you're if you're uh, taking notes, anytime from this point forward, if you see the word covenant, circle that because that's going to be important. So I'm doing that right now as I'm looking at my Bible too. Circle that word covenant because Jonathan and David made that that promise between one another because he loved him as his own soul, right? So now we see this. Verse 4, Jonathan took off the robe that was on him, gave it to David, even with his armor and to his sword and his bow and his belt. Verse 5, so David went out wherever Saul sent him, and how did David behave according to the text, everybody? It says he behaved wisely. David was doing at this point exactly what he was supposed to be doing. Now, let's let's ask a couple questions. Now, David was anointed, right? We saw that. But was David trying to take over the kingdom from Saul at any point? No. Was David trying to infiltrate Saul's family at any point? No. Was David trying to maliciously use certain things to hurt Saul? No. David did everything he was supposed to do, right? He did everything he was supposed to do. Keep that in mind. So Saul sent him over the men of war or set him over the men of war. He was accepted in the sight of all the people and in the sight of Saul's servants. Now it happened when they were coming home, verse 6, that David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine. The women came out of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines and joy musical instruments. And the women sang as they danced, and they said, Saul has slain his thousands, David has slain his ten thousands, and Saul was very angry, and the saying they said displeased him. So again, what type of king are we dealing with here from 1 Samuel 8 all the way to 1 Samuel 18? We're dealing with a king that's fearful and that the word and that the admiration and that the flattery and that the acceptance of the people means more to him than the fear of God. He's become accustomed to that. So now, what are the people saying? Look at what David's done. Look at what David's done. So he was angry, and he was angry because, verse 8, they ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me... They only ascribe thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? Here's another nugget here. Here's another, and we've looked at this in the previous three podcasts. Here's another side effect of being a fearful person. If you're fearful, you can never rejoice with those that rejoice. <laughs> Please don't miss that. We got to slow that down. We got to slow that down. If you are fearful, one thing that you will not have the ability to do, you will not have the ability to rejoice with those that rejoice. Think about this for a second. David slaying 10,000s of Philistines that wanted to kill the Israelites. 
if anybody should be happy about this, who should be happy about this? King Saul. Because what David is doing as an individual is helping the nation as a whole. But what is Saul more concerned about? Saul's not even seeing that. He's seeing he's getting more credit than me. You see what fearfulness will do? Fearfulness will make anyone an enemy for doing what they're supposed to be doing. And this is what's happening, and this is building within the heart of Saul. Y'all see all these side effects of fear? Fear's real. And the side effects of it, there is, and we're going to look at way more. There's so much more. But the five or six that we've already seen are enough to make somebody change into someone that you don't even recognize. That's what fear will do. So now we're starting to see this side effect of fear within Saul at this point. So now watch what happens. Because of that, now Saul's not looking at things correctly. What does Saul start to do from that day, verse 9? So Saul began to eye David from that day forward. I can't rejoice with him. I can't rejoice with him. But instead, let me just eye him. Let me keep my eyes on him because he could be a threat to me. Isn't that interesting? Keep that in mind. Now watch verse 10. <laughs> this is crazy. Now, remember, keep this in context. What it, Now, if we're looking at this from Satan's point of view, right? we're playing devil's advocate here. If we're looking at this from Satan's point of view, Satan's literally cooking this up. Oh, this is perfect. Jonathan and David, they say their souls are knit together. Oh, let's test that. So what we're going to do as Satan, let me leave Jonathan alone for a second. I'll get back to Jonathan, but as Satan, let me focus on David and Saul. If I can get them fighting against one another, then obviously that's going to affect David's relationship with Jonathan because Saul is Jonathan's father. So now let me work, let me, let me work on that for a little bit. So that's what Satan's doing, right? Let me work on this. Let's let that brew. Let's let that cook. So now here's an instance that Satan uses, verse 10. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his, with his uh, hand as other times and there was a spear in Saul's hand. So <clears throat> we talked about this, I believe, in podcast three on this. So does this mean that there was a literal spirit from God that made Saul prophesy within his house? We looked at that. That's not the case. Here, it's the same thing, but this is also really cool. Here's another crazy attribute of fear. Fear will make you paranoid, <laughs> okay? Fear will make you think of things. Fear will make you feel things that aren't even there. So when the text says that the distressing spirit from God came, this is, again, what we talked about in podcast three. God allowed that heart of fear to grow within the heart of Saul. But, but it says that he prophesied. Prophecy here, it's very interesting in the context. What prophecy means here is not to prophesy as a prophet would. Prophesy here is to be to have vain babblings or to talk to yourself. So think about all the things that Saul has heard up to this point. Saul doesn't want this. He was hiding in the equipment. So Saul has a position he doesn't even want. Two, 
He said, the people made me do all these things. So the kingdom's rent from you this day. That's what Samuel said. Three, God said, the kingdom is taken away from you. And number four, God said that someone greater than you is coming. So all of those thoughts are within Saul's mind. And then all of a sudden, this young lad named David comes and kills Goliath. And now he's a part of my house. And now the people love him more than they love me. So now Saul's got a spear in his hand, walking through his house, talking to himself. What am I going to do? God said, this is going to happen. Should I kill David? Should I keep him? Is he the one that's greater than me? But Jonathan loves him. So what am I going to do? But then the people don't like him. So now what's going to happen if I do this? Then are the people going to hate me? So should I kill David? But if I keep David alive, then is he going to be the one that's going to be greater than me? What am I going to do? How do I do this? How do I keep them happy? How do I keep them happy? How do I keep them happy? How do I keep myself alive? So he literally, with a spear in his hand, going crazy. That's verse 10. Fear will make you paranoid. All this stuff that we've seen from 1 Samuel 8, Saul is saying this to himself. He knows. He's not ignorant. He knows all the stuff going down. So he's got a spear in his hand. Now, here's what's really interesting and cool about this too. Look at verse 11. As Saul's saying all that stuff, David's playing whatever instrument he's playing there with his hands. He's got the spear in his hand. Watch verse 11. So Saul cast the spear for he said i will pin david to the wall but david escaped his presence twice here's what's here's what's so interesting there's there's some very interesting things as you look at what he was doing here in terms of talking to himself saul i believe in his fear now when you think about when you think about what a criminal will do a criminal will do something And you know how sometimes, even in court, they can claim that you were criminally insane, but the action was egregious. Yeah, I'm insane. So Saul had the spear in his hand, completely talking to himself over and over and over in the house. David's over there behaving wisely, doing his job. Saul wanted to make this look like this was an act of insanity. I will pin David to the wall. Oh, I'm so sorry, David. I don't know what happened. But who's going to go against the king? You see what fear is making? Fear is making Saul even think this stuff. Now, was his plan effective? No, it wasn't. But think about the things he was even thinking at this point. That's, That's insane. But now he's doing all this, but watch what happens. But David, at the end of verse 11, David escaped his presence how many times, as the Bible say, everybody? Twice. So now... Let's take a break from Satan's perspective, how he's using Saul, and Saul's perspective. Let's put, let's put our glasses through David's lens. You're sitting there. A spear is being... Th- now, I believe that this is not, I throw the spear, I pick it up, and I throw it again. I think these are two separate instances to where it didn't work the first time. He comes in a second time, plays it, I throw it again. I think this is two separate instances. Now... Think about this from David's perspective. What did David, remember, what did he make with Jonathan? Verse uh, Chapter 18, verse 3, I believe. What did David make with Jonathan? The Bible says he made a covenant. What were their souls according to verse 1? Their souls were knit together. This is crazy. What David is doing 
David, I believe, understands what Satan's trying to do. So, so David is saying, my soul is knit to my brother. So I know you're trying to get in between us. So I'm going to keep coming back. And Saul could say whatever he wants to say about me. Saul could, Saul could, uh, Saul could hate me. Saul could verbally say these things about me. Saul could do all this, but because I love Jonathan, I'm going to keep coming back. When you talk about a biblical friendship, guys, that is a different level. That's a different, that's a different level of stuff you're willing to take because of the other person. So think about what David could have done. David was within his right to hate Saul. David was in within his right to talk about Saul. I hate him too. I, I love Jonathan, but your, your father, I hate him. So would David have kept his covenant with, with, with Jonathan if he hated his father? No. Many times when we talk about friendship, friendship is not about us. Friendship is always about the other party. And it goes both ways. It's a two-sided street. So David valued the fearless, the fearlessness of Jonathan. And David valued his friendship to such a level that even if your father hates me, I'm going to love your father as if he loves me. Man, have we done that? Have can we say we've done that? Or have we gone off? Or have we have we made it harder? Think about what David could have done. David at this point could have made his friendship with Jonathan harder by making Jonathan hate his own father. Well, well, our souls are knit together, right? So why would you let your father get in between us? Your, our souls are knit together. David could have done that. But guess what David kept doing? Because he loved Saul, David kept, because he loved Saul and he loved Jonathan, David kept showing up. You want to be a friend to, to your friends around you? You want to be a friend to your brethren? You want to be a friend to your spouse? You show up when other people, and even if that those other people are family, you show up when other people are still throwing javelins at you. Goodness, man, that's different. That's it. Again, this is why as I'm looking at this in real time, I'm like, bro, my my friendship level, my, all this stuff for me can't, it has to increase because this is what David had. This is, this is real stuff. This is real stuff here. But many times what we'll do, we'll make everything about us and then we'll get mad at other people. But David just kept showing up and behaving wisely. I know your father hates me, but I still love him. I know your father says this about me. I still love him. Why am I doing that? Because I want to show up for you, Jonathan. Because our souls are knit together. Man, let's keep let's keep going, man. That's ridiculous. So verse verse 12. Now <clears throat> Saul was what of David? Why was he afraid? Because a normal person would have number one retaliated, and number two, a normal person would have would have would have left Saul's presence. Did you know that when we show the wonderful, increasingly amazing love of God 
when we truly show that to not only the world, but even when we show that to our brethren, you know, some people are, are not used to that type of love that they will become afraid of you. They will fear you because you love them. I want you, don't think about that. And I just want you to meditate on that thought for a second. People will be afraid of you because you love them. So Saul was afraid of David because David kept coming back because he was not going to hurt the Lord's anointed, number one, but he also was not going to go against his covenant that he made with Jonathan. Saul didn't know what to do with that. And sometimes, guys, when we show that type of love to others, and even when we show that type of love to our brethren, when they expect a fight, when they expect retaliation, when they expect hatred, when they expect an eye for an eye, when they respect a slap, when they respect a verbal, when they expect all these things, and when you show true love to them, not a, not a, not a love that is like, I can one-up you and I can love you even though you can hurt me, that's a fake love too. But when you show a genuine, I love you because God loved me first, and you can continue for the rest of my life to throw whatever javelin verbally or physically that you want to throw at me, but because this is what God told me to do, and because I genuinely love you as a person, they will fear you. So sometimes, guys, you can't take things personal. And I know, I know how easy it is to take, to take things personally. But sometimes, guys, you can't do that. You can't take things personally and make it about you. It's they're getting used to the love of God. And to be honest, that's actually the result that you want. Because now that gets them to thinking, this person's different. And now that's an opportunity. And David's taking his opportunity here. So now Satan tried to cook this up. Now Satan's like, man, this didn't work. I could do, I could replay this situation with David coming in here and Saul throwing the javelin a thousand times. The situation's gonna work a thousand times. So Saul, so so Satan's like, man, I can't keep this is not working. This is not working because David's gonna keep loving him. So I I can't keep using this tactic. So now Satan takes a rest. Isn't it interesting that Satan will leave us for a season? Man, that didn't work. I really thought. So David passed. He passed the first test. But now let's keep going. Verse 13. Therefore, Saul removed him from his presence and made him captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And then David, like it said in verse five, how did David behave? David behaved wisely in all his ways. And the Lord was with him. Therefore, verse 15 when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was what again of him? What does your, your Bible say? He was afraid of him. Now, is it our goal to have people afraid of us? Oh, I fear God, so I want you to be afraid of me. No, that's pride. So we're not, we're not saying that. But we're saying we want people's eyes to be open to the love of God. That's where the fear is coming from. Because what did Saul already have in his heart before chapter, chapter 18? He already had fear in his heart. So this is making him more afraid. This is making him more afraid. Verse 16, but all of Israel and all of Judah loved David, and he went out and he came in before them. So now Satan's like, okay, their souls are knit together. I can't get to David through Saul as of right now. 
So I'm going to leave that. I'm going to rest on that. Let me try another tactic. Let's, let's try this. Watch verse 17. Then Saul said to David, here is my older daughter, Merib. I will give her, give her to you as a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. Oh, okay. Now what are you going to do? Now remember what did Saul promise? Whoever kills Goliath obviously won't have to pay taxes, which <laughs> I wish I had that, right? Not having to pay taxes, but also you get riches and you get to marry his daughter. So Satan's taking an action that Saul promised, and he's going to try to use this against David. So now watch what happens. Well, since since I can't do anything with him, let's just let me just give him over to the Philistines. Let's see if the Philistines will just do something to him. Verse 18. So David said to Saul, Who am I? And what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? So look at the humility of the humility of David here. Who am I? I, I can't. I don't want to be, how could I be the son of, son-in-law to a king? Who, who am I to do that, right? Verse 19, but it happened at that time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Ariel, the Mahalathite, as a wife. Now, Michael, verse 20, now this gets sticky. You want to make this sticky? Let's get sticky. Now, Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. Okay, so let's look at this from the eyes of Satan. Hmm. I got a fearful nation. I got to keep them fearful. I got these two pests, David and Jonathan. Their souls are knit together because they're the only two in this land that fear God. I can't get David because Saul tried to kill him multiple times, and it's not working. The Lord's obviously with him, so... I can't attack David physically that way. In the lines of Spider-Man, Green Goblin from Spider-Man, if you can't attack him, attack his heart. Let me attack his let me attack David's heart. So now, this is genius. I, I I'm just being honest. Satan is cunning, Satan is crafty, he's a genius, and this was a genius move. Let me attack his heart. So now, Jonathan, my soul is knit to him. Your father hates me. Now let's make the situation even more sticky. Now Michael, Jonathan's sister, loves David. Ah, let's let that cook for a while. Let's see how that develops. Verse 20, and they told Saul this thing, and the thing pleased him. Verse 21, so Saul said, I will give her to him that she might be a what to him? A snare. Let me attack his heart. Let me attack his heart. That the hand of the Philistines might be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, you will be my son-in-law today. Come here. Come on, son. Come here. So the reason why... Saul wanted this to happen was so that the Philistines could have David. This was a perfect situation. 
This is a perfect situation. Now, let's just take a quick pause here. I feel sorry for Michael in this situation. Here's why I feel sorry for Michael in this situation. Is Michael in sin for loving David? No. Was Michael being malicious here? No. Michael truly loved David. There's nothing wrong with that. Was Jonathan in sin for loving David as his own soul? No. So now Satan is using innocent things for his purposes. So I'm going to take the the pure love of Jonathan. I'm going to take the pure love of Michael that they have for David, and I will try to turn everybody against David. If I can turn everybody against David, he may be stronger physically, but let me see how strong his heart is. <sighs> what a tactic. What a move. What a chest, what a chest move. Verse 23. So Saul's servants spoke those words in the hearing of David. And David says, Does this seem to you a light thing to be the king's son-in-law, seeing that I am poor and I am a lightly esteemed man? Uh, David's like, I'm a nobody. So do you see, do you think it's light to be the, the, the king's son-in-law? Verse 24. So the servants of Saul told him, saying, In this manner, this is what David said. Then Saul said, thus you shall say to David, the king does not desire any dowry, but 104 skins of Philistines. Now, here's why this was a genius move. Let me attack his heart. Now, in order to, for a father at this time, there was a dowry. So in order for a father to give his daughter over to David, David had to give something for the daughter. This is a perfect situation for Satan. So Saul is using his own daughter as leverage. So he's saying, look, Michael, you want to marry David? That's cool. Now I have authority to ask anything of David. So now what do I want you to do? Well, I can't kill you because obviously I've tried that multiple times. So now here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to take 104 skins of the Philistines and take vengeance on the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. You know what? I want you to kill all these Philistines, and I need a hundred of their foreskins. Now, for sake of who may be listening on the podcast, we're just going to say certain body parts of the Philistines. I want a hundred of them, right? And that's, that's going to be the gift for you to marry my daughter. So I can't kill you, but in order for you to marry my daughter, who you claim to love, and my son, who you like to... You know what? I need that from the Philistines. Yeah, you got you to gotta give me those body parts. That, that's going to be the dowry. So that's a suicide mission for anybody else. That's literally a suicide mission. So Satan's like, this is, this, I'm a genius. This is great. I attacked him physically. I attack his heart. Now, what's he going to do? Is, is, is he really going to do this? This is genius. His soul's knit to David, please. His soul's knit to Jonathan, Please, do you know who I am? I'm Satan. I destroy things. Michael loves him. Please. She's going to leave you for it. <laughs> Please. You're not going to do that. What you mean? I'm Satan. This is what I do. I cause chaos. Do you see why all this stuff from Satan is genius? We have to know our enemy, y'all. If we say we're knit together. And again, like I've always said on the previous podcast, I've got so much work to do. <laughs> I've got... I've got so much work to do, but this is genius. It's a perfect way to destroy what we claim to be close to. It's perfect.
Now watch what happens. But he doesn't, what he doesn't look for, he doesn't look at the heart of David and who he is. Verse 26. So when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to become the son, the king's son-in-law. Now the days had not not expired. Therefore, verse 27, David arose, he went, and he killed how many men of the Philistines, does the text say? He killed 200. How many did Saul ask for? He asked for 100. (laughs) Saul saw, David's like, I'll give you two. I'll give you two. And David brought their foreskins and gave them in full count to the king. David gave it with interest. <laughs> there's there's a uh, a uh, there's a movie depiction of this, and David comes back and Saul's sitting there just waiting for David to die. David comes back. He literally throws the bag right there in front of Saul. Saul looks at it and sees it's way more than what he asked for, and he's like, "How did you do this?" And David just looked at him, and said. Eh. The Lord was with me. <laughs> the Lord was with me. You see the, and again, guys, it's not, and I want to make this very clear. It's not an arrogant pride that we have, that we follow our God. It is not an arrogant pride, but it is a, it is a safe and it is a secure confidence that we have in him that we can do anything because of him, not me. We have that safe and secure anchor because he's the one that has the power. He's the one that has the strength. He's the one that has the knowledge. It's not my cunningness. It's not my good looks. It's not my this. It's not It's not who I am and what I've done in my resume. It's not me. We can have that safe and secure confidence as men and women in Christ because of God. Nothing of Jordan Anthony Pugh. Nothing of you. And the confidence that David has Is David arrogant here? No. David is showing the power and the love of God. So that type of confidence makes a man that is fearful scared. You see what's happening here? You see the battle that's happening? It's it's a real thing. Now, verse 28. Then, Then Saul, at the end of verse 27, actually, then Saul gave Michael his daughter as a wife. Thus, Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. Think about Satan. (laughs) I tried to attack him physically. It didn't work. I tried to attack his heart. That didn't work either. How else do I attack him? Verse 30. Actually, verse 29. So Saul was still more afraid. How many times from from chapter 18, from from basically verse 12 to verse 30, if you count it, and I think I'm correct here, but double check me, four times a man of fear said that he was afraid of David. Four times. Four times. So do you see why, guys? You can't, when you show the love of God truly, You can't, um, how do I want to say this? When, when you show the love of God truly, you can't take things personally. Things are going to happen. Things are going to be said. But don't take it personally. Because if you're going to look at things from, from a mature set of eyes, sometimes 
it's a there's a deeper layer than what you see. Okay? There's a deeper layer than what you've seen. And most likely it's because of somebody else's fear of something. It's somebody else's fear of something. But they're projecting that fear upon you who is fearless. Man, this is different. Verse 30. Then the prince of the Philistines went out to war. So it, so it was that wherever they went out, David behaved himself more wisely. That's the third or fourth time we've, we've seen that. Then all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. Now, uh, chapter 19. Oh, man. Now we keep going. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all the servants. Now, okay, now Satan said, I've tried to work on David and, and Saul. That didn't work. Let me point my attention back to Jonathan. Let's see what we can do here. That they So Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants. So now Saul is speaking to Jonathan and all the servants of Saul, and now guess what they say? Let's kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delightly, or delighted greatly in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, My father seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until the morning and stay in a secret place and hide. And I will go out and I will stand with my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. Then what I observe, I'll tell you. Then Jonathan spoke. What did he speak? According to verse four, Jonathan spoke what of David? So think about this from Saul's perspective. You have David who keeps showing up, even though I hate him, because he truly is knit to my son. Then you have my son who is fearless and he's knit to David and he speaks well of that man. So now you have Saul in the middle. What am I supposed to do here? What am I supposed to do with this situation? Here's, here's, here's a great nugget here for you guys as we, as we continue to learn and grow and conversate here together. When you talk about Jonathan and David's friendship being tested, Look at what Satan has tried to do in all of 18 and this little bit of 19 that we're getting into. Saul and what is what Satan has tried to do, Satan has tried to use things to try to destroy their friendship. That's what he's tried to do. But look at how Jonathan responded as an individual and look at how David responded as an individual. Did Jonathan ever get in a fight with Saul because of David? Nope. Did David ever get in a fight with Saul because of Jonathan? So look at what these two men who fear God, guess what they're doing? If we fear God, we know we have to have this humble attitude because if we both fight Saul together, nothing's going to be solved. Man, that's different. That's a different, that's a different. So now from, from Jonathan's perspective, I don't want to do anything and I don't want to do or say anything that will hurt David. From David's perspective, Saul hates me. He's thrown javelins at me. He's thrown, he's thrown verbal javelins at me and he's literally thrown physical javelins at me. But as much as this hurts, as much as this might irritate me, as much as I may be frustrated with this, because I love Jonathan, I am not going to do anything to Saul and I'm not going to say anything to Saul that would hurt Jonathan. David and Jonathan loved each other to such a level that they will take hurt for the other one. 
many times that's what we will not do. The first sign of adversity, then guess what David or Jonathan could have done? Why aren't you on my side? Well, why aren't you on my side? Well, I need you on my side. Well, I need you on my side. So guess what? If that's the case, both sides, if that was the case, Jonathan and David would have been selfish. But their souls were so knit together. Jonathan fully said, I will take anything verbally and physically because I care about David. David said, because I love you, Jonathan, even if it's your own father, I will take anything anyone has to say verbally and physically because I love you. Now, here's my question. Are we doing that? Man, 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 are we doing that? How much? I don't want to say this. How much are you willing to take? For those who you call your friends. This is the beauty man of Jonathan for me and for David, but they were willing to take so much. And I think sometimes, guys, and I don't think we do it maliciously. I don't believe we do it maliciously, but I don't think we truly understand that if we say that we're knit to something, I don't think, especially in this generation, I don't think we know how to take shots for people. I think I think we want to get to a point where it's all about how I feel. It's all about my satisfaction with it. And it's all about how it's benefiting me or how it will benefit me in the future. I don't think we know truly how to take shots for folks. I think that's a lost art. And I think if we say that we love God, if we love our brethren, if we love if we love uh, our spouses, we're going to have to learn how to take some shots without retaliating. I think that's a lost art. But as we study the friendship of David and Jonathan, as Satan is throwing blow after blow after blow after blow, neither one of them is retaliating. Why? Because number one, both men fear God. But two, because they care about one another. I don't want to do anything to hurt you. So if that means I have to be the villain, I will be the villain. Think about that for a second. I love you so much that if I have to be the villain, I will be the villain. Goodness gracious, man. Let's keep going. Let's, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Um, Verse 4, thus Jonathan spoke well of David, and he said to his father, let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you. Look at what he's doing. Look, dad, he hadn't sinned. He hadn't done anything. And because his works had been very good towards you. And now here's another thing, too. Here's another thing we got to keep in mind. Not only did David take shots for Jonathan, David did good works for Saul. It's one thing to take shots and then get mad and stay mad. See, that's where we that's kind of where we go. It's a whole nother ball game to take those shots, but also to keep doing good to Saul. Keep doing good. So Jonathan is just speaking facts to his father. Look at what David's done nothing to you, and he's done good works to you. So what's David doing according to verse or chapter 18? 
all David's doing is behaving wisely. That's all he's doing. But now watch what happens. For he took his life in his own hands and he killed the Philistine. And the Lord brought a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it. You were there and you rejoice. Why will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? So Jonathan's asking legit questions here. I don't get it. Why would you do that? So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan and Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he will not be killed. Then Jonathan called David and Jonathan told him all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul and he was in the presence as in times past. So again, now there's peace. But then how does verse eight start? Then there was war. You see, within any relationship that we have, there will be time of peace, but then there will be time of war. So Jonathan did his part. Well, whew, we got through it. Guess what's coming? War's coming. The things that we claim to be close to, war's coming. And I know that's a scary thing to think about because we don't like to think about that, but we have to think about it because that's the reality. War is coming. So now, war came again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow, and they fled. Now, here it happened again. Here's our third time. Now the distressing spirit came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. There Saul is talking to himself again. Ah, oh, David's doing this again. He's doing this again. The people are loving him again. He's killing the Philistines again. Now he has my daughter. Now he has Jonathan. Now all this stuff is happening. And David was playing music within his hand, and Saul saw it again. He tried to do. Now, isn't this interesting what Satan will do? Satan already used his tactic twice. So now Satan will leave a tactic that didn't work, and he will come back to it. Isn't that interesting? we got to know our enemy. He'll use the same tactic. If it didn't work, he'll come back to the same thing. So he's coming back to the same tactic again. So he sought to uh, pin David to the wall. He slipped away from Saul's presence, and he drove the spear to the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. Saul, Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. David's, David's on the run. And Michael, David's wife, told him, if you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. So Michael took an image, laid it in the bed, put the goat's hair on it, covered it with clothes. So essentially like this big mannequin, put this in there thinking it's David. And then Saul sent messengers to take David. Where's David at? Uh, he's <laughs> David's sick right now. David's sick right now. Then Saul sent the messengers back to see David. Bring him up in the bed that I may kill him. When the messengers had come, there was an image in the bed and goat's hair for his head. Saul said to Michael, why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that he has escaped? Look at the fear of Saul. All this is still happening. Not only is Jonathan defending Saul, now Michael is. You see the responsibility of a friend here? It's a two-way street. It's a two-way street. Uh, verse 18, so David fled and escaped, and he went to Samuel to Ramah and told him all that he had done. And he went in Samuel, and they stayed in Naoth. Now it was told Saul, saying, take note, David is at Naoth and Ramah. I know where David's at. We got to go get him. We got to go get him. So Saul sent messengers to take David. When they saw a group of prophets prophesying, Samuel standing as a leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. 
And when Saul was told, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. Then Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they prophesied also. So now all these things are happening, verse 22, 23, 24. Now you see the tactic of Satan. He's using all of these events to try to break something that's happening in 1 Samuel 18. Quickly, we're not going to go, but I want you to read through this because we're going to stop in chapter 20. But I want you to read through chapter 20. But here's some quick highlights here. So now Jonathan is trying to help David. So Jonathan shows a level of loyalty. So he flees, he flees from, from Naoth, and he goes and finds Jonathan. And he says to Jonathan in verse 1, what, what have I done? What, what is my sin? What is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? Now, look at what David could have done with Jonathan. David could have guilt-tripped Jonathan. Why aren't you doing anything? Why aren't you saying anything? Why aren't you? But little does David know who's actually speaking up on his behalf. Jonathan has, and it actually worked, didn't it? But now that it's not working, this could have been a situation in 1 Samuel 20 where David could have been like, well, you don't care. You don't care. You would have said something. Notice, they're just conversating back and forth. They're not arguing with one another. Here's, here's a golden nugget I don't want you to miss. A lot of times when you have that between two people, when you have a friendship or whatever level of relationship it is between two people, many times you have conflict in the middle. And sometimes what, we, what Satan loves to do, that conflict in the middle, Satan wants us to fight with the conflict instead of trying to figure out the conflict with each other. So now this is a situation where David came to Jonathan. Look, this is what's happening. Jonathan came to him. Well, I'm doing something. Well, you're not doing enough. Well, you're not doing enough. Well, you're not doing enough. So they could have easily fought each other. What's the if you read marriage books, and sometimes I like to read those for, you know, just for fun as I'm reading. 99.9% of them say the thing that destroys most couples is miscommunication. So now this could have been an instance where there could have been miscommunication between David and Jonathan. And, and now Satan's just sitting there. Here it is. Here it is. Now they're going to hate each other. Now what happens? So Jonathan said to him, verse 2, by no means you will not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. Then David took an oath again, verse 3, and he said, Your father surely knows I found favor in your eyes. And he said, Don't let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But surely as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is a step, there is but a step between me and death. So Jonathan said to David, watch this, verse 4, Whatever you desire, I will do it for you. Now we're going to stop here. Because there's a lot going on. We're going to stop here. But here's, here's the point of what I want to bring up. And I don't want you to miss this. Before we met Jonathan, or before we met David, what was Jonathan? He was fearless. Remember when we talked about what's the point of Jonathan? Is Jonathan just a story that is saying that, well, some people just get the short stick in life where things are just so hard and they're the ones that have to uplift and they're the ones that are the boosters for the greater ones in life that are going to quote-unquote win 
and 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 their lives are great. So in order for their lives to great to be great, they have to have Jonathan. Is, is that the point of is that the point of Jonathan being in scripture? I used to think that. Honestly, and especially because of how we see Jonathan later, I thought I used to think that that Jonathan kind of got the short stick in life. That sometimes there's winners in life and sometimes there's losers. But here's here's why Jonathan is written. And we're going to see this later in David's life. Jonathan was fearless before he met David. David was fearless, but David had more fear than Jonathan. So anytime David was on the run, and we see this in 1 Samuel 20, when David's on the run, obviously he talks to God, but who does David always run back to? He runs back to Jonathan. So when you talk about if you say you're knit together, there's nothing wrong with talking about conflict. But Jonathan, the reason why he's in Scripture is Jonathan shows that a man of God needs another man or woman of God to run to. So couples that are, so so for brethren, let's start there. For brethren, if you're a man or woman of God, you need another man or woman of God to run to. Couples, you need to run to your spouse. We need to, singles, we need to run to God and we need friends that we can run to when we're fearful. If we claim to be friends, notice what Jonathan said. Jonathan was always calm. David said, I don't know what to do. There's literally, Jonathan, a step of death between me and you. If I stay close to you, I'm going to die and I don't want that for you. What am I supposed to do? So David was more, what do I do? Right? And sometimes we don't view David like that because we don't really read this. So David's like, what am I supposed to do? Jonathan was always the calm, cool, collected head that no matter what David went through, I'm not leaving. And not only did he say that, this is what this is the message that somebody that feared God wanted to give to David that feared God. God is not going to leave us, David. Do you understand? God is not going to leave us. Things around us may crumble. God is not leaving us. If you have a friend like that, you better cherish whoever that is or whoever, or if you've had friends, whatever it is, please cherish those people. And if you don't have one, it may be, it may be time to start praying. It may, be, it may be time. Instead of sulking and getting mad and, and posting and stuff, well, there's no good women out there. Oh, there's no good men out there. Oh, men are this. Oh, women are this. Oh, no. Instead of just being bogus like that and being petty and being childish, why don't you just start praying? Let's stop playing. Why don't you just start praying? Lord, help me to be a Jonathan. Help me to be that Jonathan that someone else needs out there. Help me to be fear fearless for you. Help me not to be fearful of the things that are around me. Lord, I pray that you would send a Jonathan my way, whether in the form of male or female. I pray that you will, you will open opportunity. You will open doors for us to meet. You will open up doors for us to connect. You will open doors for her or him to come into into your life. Why aren't we doing that? Because we're we're scared. That's why. 
a friend like Jonathan. Prove it. <laughs> Man, isn't this crazy? I mean, this is just, this is incredible. So what we're going to do next week, we're going to pick up in verse five, and we're really going to get into some more stuff here, but we're going to pick up in verse five, and then we're going to start see things are going to go way, 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 way worse. This is already bad. This is terrible what's happened at this point. It's going to get worse. So as we look at this, I hope that you'll want to study. Reach out to me. Let me know what you see. Let's talk about this. Let's let's conversate about this. Share this with someone else. But strive to be that friend like Jonathan. If you haven't been, and I, and I know most of us have not been, but let's strive to be like that now. Let's strive to be like that now. All right. Thank you guys so much. I love you guys. I'll put links uh, underneath the video and show notes here. And then, Lord willing, we will be back with another podcast on Monday. Thanks, guys.